Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. And I'm Best Boy Justin. And we are the Best Boys. And we are here to talk about nationalism, war, and demigod lollies. That's right, Best Boys. (laughs) Since it's America's stupid birthday, we're going to be talking about two of the most American things out there. Nationalism and war. But since this is an anime podcast, we are going to discuss them through the lens of Japan via the anime gate. But first, we're going to have a little banter and give you the good old anime news. Uh, Up first, I want to talk about the Fruits Basket movie just a little bit. All right, let's do it. Um, Have Best Boy uh, Justin or Best Girl Alyssa said anything about the movie to you? I'm Best Boy Justin. Uh, I mean, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) They said that they saw it. Is that all you know about it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was weird. Yeah, really weird? Yes. Okay, so, for starters, like, $18 for a ticket in New York to see a movie, okay. right? Yeah. It's, it's not cheap. No. It was an hour and a half long. Okay. I timed it. The first 35 minutes of the movie were just scenes from... Fruits Basket, the TV show. What? <laughs> Bro, I'd be pissed. Dude, it was like a recap of like the season three arc of like the main character's relationship mm-hmm. and like the struggles they faced and where they ended up. Right. And then it's like 45 minutes of the like actual story. Mm-hmm. It totally could have been like, and like OVA included with. Like, the final season, like, Blu-ray discs or something. Right, yeah, I was gonna say, like, that sounds to me like somebody wrote an OVA and they were like, well, we could probably make people pay for this. Um, so I don't know how much I want to give away because I think, like, we need to do, like, a little sit-down, uh, with the other best buds to discuss this. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's weird. It, it's, it's supposed to be, like, this love story, it's definitely um, a story. It's more a grooming story. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, there's an eight-year age gap between Toru's parents, and they get married when she's fifteen and he's twenty-three. Oh, okay. Uh, in what year? <laughs> it's modern. Yeah. No. Um. So, yeah, uh, there's, that's, like, the first 20 minutes of story of the 45 minutes that you get, so Mm -hmm. I don't think that's too much spoilers, but, um, that's, that's only part of it, so, um, not what I expected, little, little disappointed, uh, we'll probably get into it more in, in a future time, because there's... There's a lot to dig into there. Okay. All right. Um, But I would say uh, do not recommend... I mean, it's not in theaters anymore, so you can't really uh, spend your money on it. But um, I don't... Don't seek it out too hard if you're interested. Yeah. Would not recommend. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. I actually... um, I wanted to talk about a couple things. Um, I actually... uh, I had COVID. So that's why I sound like how I sound. Um, but while I had COVID, I had a lot of time to read a lot of manga 
And I actually kind of I decided to try out Manga Plus from Shueisha. I'm um, so curious about this. Well, it's actually... I had run across it a couple times before. It's been around, I think, since like late 2019 or something like that. But I've never been interested in it because it's like, you know, I, it's not how I get my manga. I don't need a new manga reader, right? But... Um, I saw that they picked up a bunch of the manga that I had been following that had been kind of dropped uh, from translations. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll give it a shot and take a look at it. It's actually kind of interesting. Um, it's a free service uh, run by Shueisha, which is uh, one of the major manga publishers in Japan. Um, and the manga that they have uh, available in English is fairly limited. It's, it's limited to titles from um, Weekly Jump, Shonen Jump Plus, um, and then a couple other like random inter like independent properties that they picked up, um, and a lot of them are set up in such a way where you can read like the first three chapters and like the most recent six chapters. Um, oh, so, so you gotta catch them when they start. <laughs> exactly, because they also sell the like um, volumes. Yeah, they sell the volumes too, like the paper volumes. Um, Interesting. But, like, what you can do is, like, you know, you can find the other, the middle chapters and read them, you know, wherever you find them. Um, and then follow the updates as they come out on Manga Plus. And it's currently all free. It's ad-supported. They run ads after each, like, uh, chapter that you read. Um, but, like, I was surprised. I thought it was going to be something like Bookwalker, where you have, like, a coin-based system, or, like, Webtoons... Where, like, you have to, like, okay, you can read this chapter, but you can't read it for three weeks and unless you pay, you know, whatever fee. Which, who knows, they might they might gravitate towards that. Because currently, all of the chapters are listed with a price next to them. Well, not a price, it just says free next to all of them. So that makes me think that maybe at some point they are planning to, like, add, like turn on, like, a premium feature somehow. Hmm. Um, but right now, it's all free. There's some interesting manga on there. Um... They're doing, like, they do, like, reissues, which are basically, like, reruns of old manga. So, like, you know, if for whatever reason you can't get your hands on, like, you know, Trigun or, you know, some other old manga that have already completed, um, they're releasing weekly those chapters in order um, that you can follow on Manga Plus. Yeah. I think they're going to be releasing, uh, I, I could be wrong about this too, but I think when Chainsaw Man comes back, it's going to be on there. Yep, Chainsaw Man's going to be back, uh, and it's going to be on there. They also have Spy Family, they've got Boruto, One Piece, you know, all the... The big ones. Yeah, all of the big stuff from uh, Weekly Shonen, so, uh, Weekly Jump, rather. Um... So, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Uh, I was interested in it. I'm not going to go as far as to, like, recommend it. It's not SpawnCon, but, like, <clears throat> if something that... If a, if a manga that you're... <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> SpawnCon, sponsored content? Oh. <laughs> I, I thought you were, like... I thought there was, like, a thing, like, SpawnCon, mm -hmm. like, where people celebrated that, like, really bad Spawn movie that no. came out, and, like, <laughs> it was just universally agreed that that was good. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not sponsored content. But, um, but I figured, you know, like, if, if, if there's a manga that you're reading and it's only out on Manga Plus, give it a shot. The thing that interests me about it is, um, as a manga consumer in the United States online one of the preeminent ones is Shonen Jump yeah but um there's not really a, a route for their kind of sister uh magazines like yeah. 
Jump Plus, and um, I think there's like Jump Monthly, and yeah. there, there's a few those, in the in their brand, and selected parts of those are being released on Manga Plus, which is pretty nifty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next, what I wanted to talk about: Spring Anime is coming to a close. Oh a lot of shows God. have wrapped up. Um, and I just wanted to talk about a few that were on my mind because I caught up on all of them because I had a lot of time recently for the past week for some I, reason. I have watched one. <laughs> watched one? What's the one you watched? A Spy Family. Oh, like, absolutely. I stayed caught up on Spy Family. Last episode was a little underwhelming, I gotta be honest with you. But yeah. it's coming back. I mean, it was a thoroughly enjoyable episode. It just wasn't like a cliffhanger. It was, well, it was just an episode... Of the show. Or yeah. whatever it was. And, like because well, they teased something in episode eleven. Yeah. And then they just didn't do anything. So I I, I was a little disappointed. So about I was that. I was like, okay, I don't like I whatever. But like, you know, all overall the show was fantastic. Best yeah. show this season by far. No complaints. Um another show that I you know, I ended up really falling in love with, uh, and it really did really well. Uh, I'm quitting heroing on High Dive. Yeah. Was fantastic. I heard Surprisingly really good. Things. Really good. It's had like a really deep and interesting story. It does not go where you think it's going to go. Um, it's it keeps you guessing at all times. Uh, was a really fantastic show. Uh, the ending was done really well, and it's getting an OVA in August, which will also be streaming on High Dive. Um, let's think. What else? Uh, I uh, Kaguya-sama Love Is War, ultra romantic. Ah. The end, dude. The I last. I need to catch up on all of these. You... I'm, I'm like really upset at myself for not being caught up on all of them. You really need to catch up on Love Is War because the it ramps up so hard. It gets really good the last like three or four episodes. Uh... Um, you get so much like progress all at once, and it's like really well done though. Like it doesn't feel rushed. It feels like it's like oh, like you know. All of a sudden, stuff is happening, and it's like it's 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 really interesting and engaging. Um, you get like uh, I'm not gonna give away too much because I want you to watch it, but it, it's just so good. Mm. Um, uh, Shield Hero, I finished Shield Hero. Oh, how was it? Not bad. You know, yeah. listen, I feel like it's it's been kind of like it's become. It's almost become like it's the new sword art. Well, it not not only that, it's become fashionable to like pick an anime and then shit on it. Yeah. Like just like it's everyone, everyone <laughs> agrees to shit on one anime, and and it it was this one, and like I'm not gonna say that that Shield you know Hero, what? It, it's it's an anime that people unironically loved the first season, and then later on like became more aware of how it was problematic. Right. Well, no, <laughs> the, the thing is, like, they're not shitting on it because it's problematic. I feel like a lot of people are just saying that it's bad. And yeah. I don't think, like, so, like, I think the worst you can say about it is that you don't like it. I don't think you could say it is an empirically trash anime because the story is actually really interesting. Um, they do they do kind of address the whole Raftalia is his slave thing in a really interesting way this season okay um that i thought was well done i thought the story was kind of interesting like there they end up you you definitely won't be able to predict it from where it starts where it goes um they introduce a whole new kind of like power system um that's really interesting okay you get to see baby raftalia again so in case you (laughs) forgot the cute little raccoon girl. You know what? He's, when in back. doubt, make a raccoon small. Exactly, small raccoon is is definitely uh, a win in my book. But I thought it was really is really good. Um, I think like if you were if you liked the first season and like you were put off by like all the stuff online with people saying it was awful, 
Uh, maybe go back and just give it a shot. You know, it wasn't bad. Um, we're not going to go too in depth. I think the only the only other one that I really wanted to talk about was um, Science Fell in Love mm-hmm. because that show took a turn that is weird and the ending was bad. Oh, no. Yeah, really? like, the, the ending, it, the, I did not like the, like, the turn that it took was weird. I wouldn't say that was bad, but where they ended up was bad. Huh. Um, and, like, I just found myself, like, I finished watching the last episode and I was like, ugh, like, I don't, like, I don't like the way that ended up, you That's know? That's too bad. Um, I don't, I, again, I don't want to give away any spoilers, um, but, like, yeah, it just it turns weird. It gets. I'm weird. really curious though, <laughs> it, it, dude. It at one point turns into a, like a rescue story, which if you know this show is weird for it to do that. Huh. Um, it gets really very incredibly dramatic towards the middle of the oh. season, in, in in a way that is at first interesting. You're like, oh, okay, like we're getting some dramatic backstory. You're like, yeah, I like this, but then like it doesn't. It pans out in a way that's not terribly ex- interesting. And like the ending, they just do a they do an anime with the last episode, and I'm like, oh come on. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that kind of you know that was my 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 kind of a miss for this season. Um, oh, and uh, Bookworm is fantastic. Watch it. Uh, speaking of Bookworm, we missed a dad. Oh yeah. In our best dads list from we last episode, did. Um, we missed a good dad. The good dad that we should have added to the list was Mine's dad from a sentence of a Bookworm. He is so supportive yeah. of her, like throughout the show, and like doesn't really ever question it. Like, yeah, he's always on board. And yeah, I, like I love that kind of ride or die. Yeah, he's like this is he's like I'm on my daughter's side. I don't care. She yeah. has scary magic powers. I don't give a fuck. Like, this is my daughter, bro. Yeah. Do you see how you, shiny my hair is? Look, look at how shiny her hair is. <laughs> Do you see it? Um, but yeah, so we Great missed a dad. I wanted to I wanted to rectify that. Great family yeah. overall. Not a not a bad one. Perfect, wonderful family, family that was def nothing will bad will ever happen to them. Ever. Yes. Yeah. Um, you're ahead in it. Does it become a grooming fantasy? No, it doesn't. Oh, thank God. Um, I don't. Th- I, didn't, I was never worried that it would. I just. I didn't get that feel from it. Like it. It had the potential to, but like only in the, in the same way that any show with a young child <laughs> has know, the potential. I to. know, but that's anime because you never know which way it's gonna go. Mm. You just kind of like cross I mean, your fingers and hope for the best. To be fair, if you want to, wanna, if you want to look at it in the most uncharitable way possible. The second season of Shield Hero lets him groom his raccoon wife again because she gets small again. But it's not actually like that. She's only small for like two episodes. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. But uh, yeah. Um, but no, it didn't go there. It, 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 went in, it went in an interesting direction that even best person Cat didn't see coming. Ooh. Yeah. Like we we were watching that show and we were like we like we were like I never saw this coming. This was. Yeah. Like, it, it surprises you in a way that is really, really well done. Really perfectly executed. Um, but with that being said, I think we're at a pretty good point for us to go ahead and check in with Studio WEB for some anime news! Alright, Best Buds. Up first, we have a little update uh, for y'all. Yay! The United Workers of the Seven Seas, a union for employees of manga and light novel publisher Seven Seas Entertainment, 
announce on Friday uh, on Twitter that Seven Seas has agreed to voluntarily recognize the UW7S as a union based on a majority card check. This eliminates the need for the National Labor Relations Board uh, conducted election. UW7S's full statement reads... UW7S is happy to announce that Seven Seas has agreed to voluntarily recognize us as the union based on a majority card check. This decision by Seven Seas eliminates the need for the NLRB conducted election and will pave the way for a more expedited path to bargaining a first contract. Uh, at a time when em uh, many employers continue to fight the unionization of their employees, we appreciate that Seven Seas decided to respect the voices of the majority of staff and recognize us. We look forward to developing a mutually beneficial relationship and reaching a collective bargaining agreement in the near future. So, uh, in response, Seven, Ste uh, Seven Seas posted a statement on Twitter saying... At the end of May, Seven Seas was notified that a union had filed an election petition to represent our employees. Uh, at the time, the company decided to proceed uh, to an election governed by the National La uh, Relations Labor Board in order to allow such an important decision to get its full democratic process. The company is responsible for protecting the rights of all employees and that and was uncomfortable waiving such a fundamental right to vote. However, this has been a challenging time for the staff at every level. Above all, the well-being and safety of our employees is of the utmost importance to us. In order to protect everyone involved and to work together in good faith and for the sake of our staff, creators, partners, and fans, Seven Seas will, uh, has now decided to waive the right to an election favor in favor of voluntarily recognition of the union. We look forward to working together with the newly recognized UW7S and the rest of our global staff as we sail into a brighter future. Um, this is how you do it, companies. Sort of. They should have just sort done of. it from the first. I mean, they should have done it from the start, and but this is so much better than fighting it. Like, there was a clear majority... They can now sit down at the table in good faith. I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect going forward. I'm yeah. not like, the hard saying, part is yet to come. Yeah, <laughs> um, but this is this is a positive step, and I would like to see more things like this in all industries, but especially in in the manga and the anime industry. Yeah, I mean, this is you know, it's definitely a step forward. Uh, what it kind of boils down to is like basically they sat down with the lawyers. They, they looked at, you know, the numbers of how many people they have that are openly supporting the union. And basically they figured out, like, there's no way we can screw them out of it, so we might as well recognize it. And, like, that sounds kind of cynical, but that's just how these things work. Like, yeah. the reason why you don't see Amazon doing this is because Amazon has the resources to fight it. Yeah. Seven Seas, and, and probably and not. And it's worked. Yeah. Um, Seven Seas doesn't really. And so, you know, that's why this kind of boiled down the way it did. But it's still a good thing. Um, still positive. Yes, more unions, more better. Yeah. So um, that one made me really excited. I'm glad we have an update to it. If we hear anything more, we'll let you all know. Um, but I think this is something that I, the best boys are going to be keeping an eye on, is kind of the labor movement, especially as it relates to uh, our little corner of the world. Um, 
So, uh, speaking of uh, the labor movement, Chainsaw Man. Yes. <laughs> um, the official Twitter of Shueisha's Shonen Jump Plus service announced, and this is why I was so curious about it, because mm-hmm. I have this thing here, uh, announced on Monday that Tatsuki Fujimoto's uh, Chainsaw Man manga will pr- start its second part on July 13th. Shonen Jump Plus assistant editor-in-chief Yuta Mi- Mo- oh, Momiyama uh, stated on Twitter that the manga will continue to serialize Manga Plus and will be available in English, Spanish, Thai, French, and Portuguese. Um, Fujimoto debuted Chainsaw Man in uh, Weekly Shonen Jump in December 2018 and ended its first part, the public safety arc, in December of 2020. The manga is moving uh, over to Shonen Jump Plus with the second part, the school arc. So I'm super excited. I read the first uh, arc. It's like 97 chapters. It's a, it's a very interesting story. I'm excited for the, mo- uh, the anime adaptation. So more people can experience it. Yeah. And very interested to see where it goes from here because that was a pretty kind of world ending like <laughs> level like mm-hmm. story in and of itself. So it, it's it'll be wild to see what where where it could possibly go. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've been waiting for the anime to come out, so I haven't read the manga, but uh, I'm excited for the show. Um, and then to kind of wrap up my section of news, uh, I wanted to, uh, promote some, some excitement for, uh, a return of a real fun show. The staff for the anime of Ken Wakui's, uh, Tokyo Revenger franchise debuted a new promotional visual and first key visual for the anime's Christmas Showdown arc on Sunday. The video announces that the arc will premiere January of 2023. Wonderful. Uh, so psyched. Also ready for Christmas Showdown arc, um, which is the follow-up to the Bloody Halloween arc. I can't wait to see what comes for... <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna get, a, like, violence at every holiday? Oh, yeah. Okay. Wait till Arbor Day. It's Dude, a, 4th of July. The Arbor Day Massacre. The 4th of July. I can't wait for it. Yeah. Um, awesome. Um, so, yeah. Best Boy Justin. That's one that you should definitely catch up on, too. Yeah. I think you would enjoy the, that story. One of these days. Um, so, as far as my uh, little section of the news goes, uh, first off, we have the Jump No Mirai 2022 online talk event announced that all new manga series on Shueisha's Shonen Jump Plus app and website will launch simultaneously in English on the company's Manga Plus app from 2023 onward. Uh, the aim is to build a foundation of creating hit manga on a global scale. Shueisha editor Yuta Momiyama, who we talked about earlier, uh, who also manages weekly Shonen, Jumps, uh, Shonen Jump Plus and Manga Plus online services, stated that overseas manga market has expanded in recent years, so popularity of manga in countries outside of Japan is becoming more important. Thus, he wants to not just export manga outside Japan, but also expand Jump's structure of creating hit manga overseas. Um, and, you know, I have to say they're doing a pretty good job. Um, I think, you know, we'll see how it works when they expand it. My one criticism is sometimes the localizations are a bit weird. Um, and an example of this is kind of how, like, when they're referring to someone as, like, oh, uh, for example, there's a character in one manga that I'm reading. His name is Mima. 
and he's like the senpai to one of the main characters. So like you would expect him to call him Mima Senpai, right? But it's always translated as senior Mima in a way that people don't talk. Um also it's got a lot of the like like translating Onisan and Onesan as like bro or sis, which is not how people oh. talk. Um <laughs> but hopefully they'll get better at that. Um <laughs> Justin bro. Yeah, what's up, bro? <laughs> Bro, come in. Like, no, it's it's oh, people God. people don't talk like that. Um, but yeah, uh, so excited for that. It's more manga in English is a good thing, um, and not just in English either. There, there are they are uh, translating stuff into a ton of languages on Manga Plus. Indonesian, yeah. um, Thai. I think they do Chinese, Portuguese, Portuguese Spanish. Um, you know, obviously English is like the primary second language for the, the, the service, but like, you know, it's expanding little by little, which I think is great. Um, yeah, it's definitely, oh my God, I, oh, I have, I have another piece of banter cause I just remembered it. Go for it. Um, did you learn I, Portuguese? No, I was going to say it's like, it's becoming, um, like more common just around the world and in, in the uh, population, and then I realized today that I've been playing the um, New York Times like mini crossword puzzle, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the clues today was art style of Dragon Ball Z. And oh it was yeah, anime. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, it's anime in the New York Times, the like least <laughs> anime conscious like publication. Yeah, I was like, there you go. We're getting there. We're getting there. We made it. <laughs> next up in the news, we have uh, voting has opened for the eighth next manga awards, uh, with fifty titles nominated uh, in the both the print and web manga categories. Readers can vote for their favorite choices until July eleventh. Um, and I just wanted to highlight some of my favorites that are that just got nominated that I'm excited to see. Um, and just for those of you who don't know, next the next manga award is kind of like. Um, it's an award for up and coming manga. So like manga that has only like either hasn't been serialized in Japan yet or has only been serialized for the last like couple like 6 or 7 months um or web uh, you know web comics that have been running for a long time but have never been like officially serialized. Um so it's neat. It's kind of like this these like underground interesting weird manga that um you know you might not get a chance to read unless you kind of really look for them, or if mm. they get nominated for something like this. Um, so some of my favorites, there are like 50 total, so I'm not going to go through all of them, um, is Cuprum's Bride, which is about a... Uh, it's a slice-of-life romance story about a copper artisan, um, like, you know, in, like, college-age years, uh, working in his, like, family's copper, like, shop, um, and his romance with a Gyaru, who is, you know... Gyaru is so hot right now. That Hansel's so hot right now. We love Gyaru's. Um, my Wife Has No Emotion, which is about a guy who marries a robot. Um, so, <laughs> oh, I know that story very well. Yeah. Um, it's actually, it's it's one of the most interesting romance manga that I've read in a while. Because it, it does breach kind of the topics of like what is intelligence and like what is sentience. Um, what does it mean to like, you know, create something and then fall in love with it. Um, it's an interesting, it, it really interesting romance manga that you kind of wouldn't expect it to be. Um, Ichizu Bitch-chan, 
which is about a girl who is kind of seen by her classmates and the people around her as like kind of like a cold like bitch basically like all of the guys that like you know try to ask her out she like turns them down in the most brutal and agonizing ways possible but it's really just because she has a huge crush on her senpai um who she is like really flirty with and um they have like a cute and interesting relationship um I want to be praised by Gal Gamer. As we said, Yarus are hot right now. Um, this is about a guy who wants to get better at playing <laughs> the online game Apex Battle. Um, and he hires a coach who is like a pro Apex gamer. And it turns out to be his Gyaru classmate. Oh my god, um, yes. And it's actually a really fun and wholesome story. Because like, she's like she's that, got that kind of like Gyaru character who's like... Oh, I don't care if I like something, I like it, and you know, if people people think it's weird. I don't really give a damn. Um, so like, she's like, she you know, she makes friends with him, and they hang out at school, and they have the whole thing. Like, oh, but if your friends see me, then you know, they'll think you're a loser. And she's like, I don't care about that because I'm the coolest girl in school. Blah blah blah. Um, it's just a really good show. It actually does. Uh, this is in the web manga category because it uses a lot of color. Like the all of the characters have like very vibrantly colored like the tips of their hair and their irises um which i think is really well done um and you don't see it a lot uh the next one i have is you and i are polar opposites which is another romance story where basically the um the female lead is like this kind of outgoing popular girl um who is always like able to like read the room and like she's you know she's always trying to be like what everyone wants around her wants her to be basically and the male lead is basically this guy who just he always say he has no filter he just says whatever is on his mind and he's kind of just like a quiet dude who just does what he does and doesn't really care too much what the people around him think and they um like each other so they end up going out and it's cute because they're weirdos um and sometimes that's all you need next up is um the girl who married the big snake this, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, I skipped over this one like a million times before I finally started reading it. Uh-huh. Um, because it's basically, it's set in like the Edo period, where basically this girl who lives in a village, um, her father dies, and like she's super poor, so like she is used as like a sacrifice to like the great snake god who lives on the mountain and they have to like she has to marry, like go up there and marry him and she's never allowed to come back off the mountain again. Um and so, like, she's really terrified of the snake, obviously, because he's an enormous white snake. Um, but the snake is kind of just like a... He's like a... Um, he's just like a nice dude. He's just like a lonely dude who's been on the mountain for a hundred years. And he's just, like, kind of really happy to have someone around to talk to. Um, so they kind of... They grow closer. Like, he understands. Like, at first, he's like, yeah, I get it. Like, you know, they sent you up here to marry me. Like, you know, I'm a snake. Of course you don't want to marry me. Blah, blah, blah. But, like, they get closer and they have, you know, a really cute, very weird relationship. Um, but it's got a really interesting story and the yeah. artwork is really well done. <laughs> um, but there is snake sex in it. So be aware of that. Oh, before okay. you, I'm, I'm just laying all the cards Listen. on the table. I don't want you to pick this this manga <laughs> up and then be like, you didn't tell me there would be snake sex. Well, I did. <laughs> um, and the last one, which I saved for last because it's my favorite. Um, uh, I love the title of it. You should read this one because it's really good. It's called A Story About Smoking at the Back of the Supermarket. Um, and basically it's about this salary man. He's like an older dude. He's kind of like beat down by life. He works at a black company. And like his one, the one highlight of his day 
is when he gets to go to the supermarket and buy what he needs to buy, and he gets to go to the really cute, like, very nice and happy, bubbly cashier, um, whose name is Yamada-san. And, like, he goes and, like, obviously, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to actually talk to her. That would be creepy and weird. Um, but one day as he's leaving the... Um, He's leaving the supermarket. I forget why he he needs to go somewhere else to smoke. I think maybe it was raining or something like that. But he's looking for a place to smoke a cigarette. And um, this girl, like, kind of calls him back behind the supermarket. She goes, oh, you can smoke back here. It's fine. I work here, right? And she's kind of like a, she's kind of like a goth chick. Like, she's like a goth girl, like, alt girl kind of personality. Like, she smokes. She's, you know, she wears, like, a leather jacket. And she, like, doesn't have her hair you know, like, all, like, placed back neatly and stuff. And she introduces herself as Tamaya-san. And, of course, everybody but him knows that this is Yamada-san. But, like, this is her non-work personality. He doesn't he doesn't recognize it. Because she's, she's, like, just playing a game with him at first and doesn't realize until, like, shortly after their first interaction that he doesn't know that she's Yamada. So, basically, it's this kind of, like, story about him meeting her actual self like her actual persona behind the supermarket to smoke cigarettes with, not realizing it's the same like girl that he's like in love with inside the supermarket. Oh. Yeah, it's a it's really it's a really fun show, and that again, actually sounds adorable. It's got like this. It's like in a really adorable, wholesome show that has like this kind of noir like kind of art style that's really interesting that I like. Okay. Um, so I highly recommend this one for anyone who's interested in anything I just said. Um, Another thing that I'm going to say, following the thing I just said, uh, is that it's time for some Gundam news. What's this? Gundam? I'm really good at transitions. Um, so this one is an announcement uh, about the age of Bright Noah in the Cuckoo's Dones Island movie. Um, in the original Mobile Suit Gundam TV series, Bright Noah was 19 years old when he commanded the white base. Um, but in the, uh, the movie that's coming out, uh, Kukuru's Don'ts Island, um, he's been aged up to 25. Um, and the director, Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, kind of, uh, he's, he did an interview where he talks about why this is. Um, and what he said was, in the past, a character over 20 in a children's program would have been designated an uncle-type figure, an oji-san. Um... Bright was meant to be kind of more like an older brother figure rather than an uncle figure. So they made him 19 instead of like or older, like 25, um, which is like the oldest he, he could be for that audience and not have the audience be like, ew, he's an old man, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny because I'm 32. But uh, <laughs> the um, so he said rather than changing it for the film, we just gave him the age um, that should have been that would have made sense from the beginning, which is twenty five, because most of the people who are watching it are not, you know, grade schoolers anymore. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was interesting. Um. I I kind of uh, it I, just shows how that audience grew up. Yeah. It it's, and it it never like really stayed young. They had to make kind of a whole new category to to recapture the younger yeah. audience. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's where you get uh, the the whole point behind um. The, the after well no the after colony series oh, yeah. um, was to catch another generation of, of of young viewers and then the same thing with uh, Gundam Seed was also that way uh, was trying to reset the story for another younger generation and then you have things like Build Fighters you have SD 
Um, you know, all of those kind of things. So I thought it was interesting that they actually did like kind of retcon his age um, to make sense for the older audience. Because 25 is not that. 25 is still way too young to be commanding a battleship. Um, but yeah, that kind of does it for our anime news for this week. Let us know what you think. How old were you when you first commanded your 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 first battleship? I was 17. Um, you were 17. Okay, yeah. well look at you, Mr. Overachiever. Um, are you going to join the Seven Seas Workers Union? Are you excited for Chainsaw Man? Uh, let us know on Twitter and Instagram at bestboys underscore pod or send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. And I think now that's time for us to start with some meat and potatoes. Best Buds, this week we're going to be talking about Gate, uh, and the anime, not the word, um, <laughs> and how it relates to nationalism and war, um, because it's 4th of July. Now, before we get started, I kind of want to throw up a huge disclaimer. What, we're do, gonna be th- what do nationalism and war have to do with 4th of July? <laughs> not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, we're going to be talking pretty critically about this show, but I do actually like it. Um, I, I do too, and I'm not like a big like military like drama or comedy type person yeah i mean this is not a review we're not reviewing the show we're not telling you whether or not you should watch it or whether or not we liked it even though i just told you i like it i do too um we're just kind of we're talking about the the element of it that has to do with nationalism and war um I think it's okay to like something even though it's problematic, uh, as long as you can like clearly look at and analyze the problems that it presents. Um, some of you might disagree with me, and that's fine. You can get in our mentions about it, uh, but that's just how I feel on the matter. I just wanted to make sure you guys didn't think I was just shitting on this show just to shit on it. Anyway, moving on. Gate, and thus the Japanese self-defense force fought in their land, began life as a light novel series written by former JSDF officer Takumi Yanai, uh, and illustrated by Daisuke, uh, Daisuke. Daisuke Izuka and Kurojushi. Kurojushi. That one. Uh, Gate was self-published on the website Arcadia from 2006 to 2009 until it was acquired, acquired by publisher Alpha Polis in 2010. A manga adaptation illustrated by Satoru Sao began in July 2011, and three spin-off manga were released in 2015. The television anime from A1 Pictures uh, released in January of 2016. Yeah, um, so the story centers around Japan's self-defense uh, force officer and hardcore otaki, otaku Yuji Itami. Um, Itami finds himself caught in the middle of a disaster when, while he was on the way to a doujin convention in Ginza, a mysterious gate suddenly appears in the middle of the city. Supernatural creatures and medieval warriors begin charging through the gate, killing and destroying everything in their path. Yuji takes charge of the situation around him, saving as many lives as he can, while the rest of the JSDF direct their efforts towards stopping the invasion. 
Three months after the attack on Ginza, Yuji has been tasked with leading a special recon team as part of a, JDSD, a JSDF task force that will be sent to the world beyond the gate, which is now referred to in Japan as the Special Region. They must travel into this unknown world in order to learn more about what they are dealing with and attempt to befriend the locals in hopes of creating peaceful ties with the ruling empire. But if they fail, they face the consequence of participating in a devastating war that will engulf both sides of the gate. We'll talk a little bit more about our cast of characters in a minute. But first, I think it might be worthwhile to discuss what the Japanese Self-Defense Force is and where it comes from. After being defeated by the Allies in World War II through the use of a pair of 15 to 21 kiloton war crimes, Japan was completely deprived of its military capability and forced to sign a surrender agreement presented by notable piece of shit General Douglas MacArthur in 1945. Fun fact, MacArthur would later go on to be fired during the Korean War for planning to invade China behind the government's back. In 1947, Prime Minister Kijiro uh, Shidehara wrote Japan's new constitution under supervision of the occupying U.S. authorities. Article 9 of this constitution reads as follows. Aspiring sincerely to international peace based on justice and order, the Japanese people forever renounce war as a sovereign right of the nation and the threat to use force as a means of settling international disputes. In order to accomplish the aim of the preceding paragraph, land, sea, and air forces, as well as another war potential, will never be maintained. That means no space force. Uh, the right of belligerency of the state will not be recognized. Effectively, this provision within Japan's constitution meant that Japan would never again maintain an army, navy, or air force. Uh, in practice, this left the entirety of Japan's territorial defense in the hands of the occupying U.S. forces. This, however, would... What could go wrong? I know, right? This, however, would change pretty rapidly with the U.S.'s attention soon to be focused on its new boogeyman... Communism! By 1950, things had begun heating up on the Korean Peninsula, and the United States occupation troops began to be redeployed there from Japan. This led Japan, with the encouragement of the American occupation authorities, to establish one of the precursor organizations to the JSDF, the National Police Reserve, a 75,000-man force equipped with light infantry weapons. In 1954, the National Security Board was reorganized as the Defense Agency, with the National Security Force becoming the Japanese Ground Self-Defense Force, the subject of the anime we're talking about today. The Coastal Safety Force would be reorganized into the Japan Marine Self-Defense Force, who are the subjects on uh, the second Gate Light novel series, and the J Japan Air Self-Defense Force, would be created alongside them both. These three branches would fall under the umbrella of the Japanese Self-Defense Force. The JSDF's primary missions, as you might guess from the name, are the defense of the Japanese peninsula from external aggressors in co cooperation with the U.S. military, uh, as well as anti-terror and disaster response. Um, what you might not guess from the name, however, is that the JSDF has operated abroad and continues to do so somewhat regularly. Um... 
The Japanese national diet passed a law allowing the JSDF to participate in non-combatant UN peacekeeping missions under limited conditions. This actually led to the deployment of JSDF troops to Iraq in 2004 at the request of the United States. Um, these troops, while armed, were designated purely for humanitarian and construction work and were prohibited from engaging in combat unless fired upon first. Um, the JSDF is regularly deployed around the world from Rwanda to New Zealand and Haiti as part of uh, international disaster relief teams. Additionally, the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force operates a counter-piracy facility in Djibouti uh, with the mission of protecting Japanese ships from Somali pirates. This is Japan's only permanent overseas military installation. The current JSDF is an organization with rapidly changing mission. In 2014, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and his cabinet... Also noted piece of shit. <laughs> and his cabinet agreed to lift the ban on engaging Japanese troops in combat abroad, ostensibly in a bid to strengthen Japan's position against growing Chinese military aggression and Northern Korea nuclear weapon testing. Uh, though critics decried his move as a thinly veiled nod to growing nationalist wing of Japanese politics. Though such deployments are still subject to the Japanese constitution's prohibition of use of war as a means of settling disputes. The government signaled that it will be willing to revisit the nature of this prohibition in the future. The JSDF currently consists of 247,000 active duty personnel and a 56,000 person reserve component. New recruits generally sign on for a two to three year contract. Uh, the attitude of the public towards the JSDF has also shifted in the decade since its creation. Initially, the JSDF was ridiculed and publicly referred to as tax thieves. I've <laughs> never heard that before. Um, and even sometimes pelted with stones while out in public. Over the years, the JSDF established itself as a leading force in disaster relief and public uh, works missions, resulting in a rapid increase of public opinion of the force. Yeah. Um, so now that we know what the JSDF is and where it comes from, let's get to know our core cast of characters before we discuss some of the more problematic elements of the show. Um, Yoji Itami, first off. Uh, Itami is our protagonist for the series. He's a 33-year-old second lieutenant in the JSDF who also happens to be a hardcore otaku. Uh, following his actions in Ginza during the initial appearance of the gate, Itami is promoted to first lieutenant. Despite the fact that the people around him constantly remark how much of a lazy slacker he is, he's actually a certified ranger originally assigned to a special forces unit. While he may be lazy, he has a knack for knowing when and how to get out of trouble, which ends up kind of being his special power. Um... <clears throat> He consistently tempers the gung-ho personalities of the people around him by knowing when to simply run away. Um, also, fun fact, the name Itami comes from the name of a city in the Hyogo Prefecture where the JGSDF Central Army Headquarters is located. He, he just kind of, like, succeed, like, fails successfully, like, upwards somehow. Well, not even that. But he doesn't even fail. He, like, just, like... This always seems to like find the lazy way out, but it also happens to be like the best way out. Right. Well, I mean, if like if he was a Pokemon, his super his secret power would be nope. Mm. He just nopes out of every bad situation he finds himself in. Yeah. Um, next we have Tuca Luna. Marceau. French is worse than <laughs> Japanese for me. Marceau. I, I agree with you. 
Tuka is a 165-year-old high elf who Atami and his squad rescue from a village that has been destroyed by a flame dragon. Her father was killed in the attack, and Tuka, having lost her ability to cope with his death, latches on to Atami, insisting he is her father, and frequently calling him daddy in the English dub, which is super uncomfortable. And they do manage to overcome her trauma eventually, um, but Tuka still calls him daddy. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Lele Lalalena. A um, lot of cool names in the show. <laughs> so happy I didn't have to say that. <laughs> we don't have her on the list, but like the the main the main princess of the empire, her name is uh, Pina Colada. I so. oh my god, I can't that. I watching it the second time when they revealed her, I was like, oh, that's right, that's her <laughs> name. Why? <laughs> Um, also, there's a character named Mimosa, and they're not related. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Lele is a 15-year-old human girl from a nomadic tribe. When she first meets Itami and her squad, she is training as a mage in a village under attack by a flame dragon. Um, she ends up continuing to travel with uh, Itami and his squad. She's one of the first people from the land beyond the gate to learn uh, Japanese, and often works as an interpreter for the JSDF. Um, after visiting Japan, she gains knowledge of physics and chemistry, which she uses to enhance her latent magical abilities. Not so fun fact, in her tribe, a man and a woman who have spent three nights sleeping in the same room are considered married. Thus, she considers Itami to be her common law husband. Uh, thankfully, Itami does not seem to have any interest in this arrangement. We're watching you, you fucking dirtbag. I mean, it is... Also, he's not the only person. He's not the only person in this show to have a somewhat marriage-like relationship with a teenager. Yeah, though she is one of my favorite characters. She's great. I love her. Uh, Rory Mercury. Uh, if you're a true weeb, you knew it was coming, and here she is, our demi goddess who looks like a teenage girl who is actually 961 years. Uh, old Apostle of Emroy and the God of Battle. She is always wearing her ceremonial religious vestments, which just so happened to make her look like a goth lolly. As an Apostle of the God of Battle, she is very skilled in combat. With centuries of experience, she single-handedly wields an enormous halberd, which is too heavy for most people to even pick up off the ground. She takes a liking to Itami and his squad after seeing them fight against a flame dragon to protect a group of refugees. Okay, Rory, Rory's definitely best girl, though. Oh, yeah, Rory's great. I love her. <laughs> like, uh, just such a good character. Yeah, she's a really... She's not just... She's a really well-written character. And, like, and it's way, it's way better than you would expect for the fact that, like, you would write her off as, like, oh, this is the trope of, like, a little girl. Like, oh, but I'm actually 900 years old. But, like, she's actually plays she that character really well. Yeah. Um, so one of my, definitely my favorite character from the show, um, and best girl for sure. But now that we've got some of the basics out of the way, let's talk about some of the criticisms about the series and its appeals to Japanese nationalism. Um, now to many Western viewers, especially those who don't really know much about the military history of Japan, um, Gate probably seems like a relatively tame military fantasy show. Um, American viewers in particular probably don't see anything unusual about an anime where a country uses its military to strike back at an invader and bring peace and freedom to foreign lands, like we do all the time. <laughs> um, 
But in Japan, however, the concept of sending an armed force abroad for any reason is relatively new. Um, as we discussed earlier, Japan's constitution specifically renounces the use of war, and for many decades, this precluded even sending its own troops, who are specifically tasked with self-defense, outside of its own borders. Um, it's only within the last 8 to 10 years that Japan has begun doing so on a somewhat notable scale, uh, and even this extremely limited basis upon which they do that uh, remains very controversial in Japan. There are a lot... And some might even say a majority of citizens that do not agree with sending um, Japanese soldiers overseas. When they sent soldiers over to uh, Iraq, there were huge protests. Um, it's not a very popular concept. Um, but uh, a vocally nationalist subset of the Japanese political establishment has continued to grow over the years. And restoring Japanese military glory is a pretty common refrain amongst them. It's interesting. The first time I watched this show, I definitely watched it as just, like, an American, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, like, fun, like, military yeah. in fantasy land kind of story. And then the second time, I, like, kind of that novelty had worn off, and mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, my God, deep military propaganda. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're like everywhere on this that's so interesting because like the first time i watched this show i knew this history already so it already was jarring to me so I didn't, like i didn't even know the history but, but like seeing it the second time it was just like so much more in my face yeah which is which is interesting because like if you talk to most people who don't have like a background in this kind of stuff um if you ask them like hey what do you know about japan's military today most people, if they say anything at all, will tell you, like, they don't have one. Or they just have a National Guard or something like that. Right. Um, but it's really way more complicated than that. Um, and I think that the way, the way this anime hits Western viewers is so markedly different from how it hits Japanese viewers. And I think that it's interesting for that aspect alone. So these themes are all over the place in Gate, if you know where to look. Um, as early as episode four, uh, Itami can be heard discussing the exploitation of resources in this new world, despite the fact that they are ostensibly in this world in order to defend Japan. Um, in fact, later on in the series, Itami's unit is specifically tasked with searching for mineral resources, though he really does uses this as a pretext to go around helping people, which is probably not the worst thing anybody's ever done with that kind of mandate, but... Yeah. Um, it, it's... It... It's interesting, too, because I think they really specify how, okay, the gate resides in Japan, so technically it's, like, yeah. Japan's, like, sovereign soil. Yeah, it's that kind of those mind games, like, it, it, it's got... So it's like, it's okay that we're going, because we're not going out into the rest of the yeah. world, we're going into Japan. It's, yeah, it's a special region of Japan. Yeah, it's it's special region. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like how, like... Will RPG logic it into yeah, well, existence? It's funny, because, like, they basically make the, the land beyond the gate into the Hong Kong of Japan, kind of. Huh. <laughs> and that's, that's really what it is, yeah. though. Like, they establish a whole, like, parallel, like, economy and, like, all, like, a whole hybrid culture. It is very much the Hong Kong of Japan in this show. 
Despite this, the JSDF is always portrayed as the model organization with no problems and no ulterior motives to a decree that actually becomes uncomfortable and weird when you think about it. Japan is depicted as a basically all-powerful force, which makes sense because it's a, a, obviously a modern military and would have the edge against a foe armed with shields and swords. Uh, despite all of their intentions and upstanding morals, the fact is the JSDF is still an occupying force in this situation. The degree to which the show tries to put a smiley face on this fact is a bit silly sometimes. One example that sticks out comes in episode 13, when Misery of um, one of the sex workers in Trouble Town complains that none of the JSDF soldiers ever come to the brothels. Now... Listen, whatever your attitudes are about sex workers, like, soldiers have been going to brothels since before there were even former formal militaries. Military campaigns and sex workers have always gone hand in hand, and they probably always will. I don't buy that the JSDF is the only fighting force to avoid brothels. I feel like it's better to handle the scene like might have been to say like something along the lines of no one can understand the JSDF uh, JSDF soldiers but at least they pay well and they don't get rough with them. This would also be like unrealistic because sexual violence is another thing that all militaries have in common which is something Japan is no stranger to uh google comfort women unless you live in japan in which case nothing bad happened nothing to see here move along but at least it wouldn't feel uncannily virtuous yeah i i mean there are another there are a number of other notable references to nationalism and war in the show one that sticks out specifically is when during an airborne assault by helicopter they actually play ride of the valkyries you know that song right yes um and basically, they do a shot-for-shot... Shot, <laughs> yeah. They do a shot-for-shot, line-for-line remake of a scene from the Vietnam War movie, Apocalypse Now. Um, Where nothing bad happened. Nothing bad happened. <laughs> um, we're going to talk a lot more about Vietnam. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. In case you were worried. We'll get there. <laughs> this story didn't have enough. We're going to get yeah. into Vietnam. So this reference to American media and culture is not out of place in this type of setting. The JSDF is in many ways patterned along uh, American fighting forces. Um, the show specifically references how Atami's Special Forces Unit emulates the Green, uh, American Green Berets, uh, an outfit that has a long and not very pleasant history. Um, what? Nothing bad happened. Nothing ever. bad ever happened. <laughs> if you only watch American action movies, then you probably know the Green Berets as like badass heroes who saved the world. John Wayne, who is also a piece of shit, uh, was in a movie called <laughs> Green Beret. He got nuked. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, the, if you study history, you'll find that the Green Berets have been involved in war crimes and atrocities wherever they've operated, from Vietnam to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and that is true for just about... That's true for every Special Forces unit that we've ever had. Yeah. Um, 
Interestingly enough, the series actually does portray how Green Berets actually operate in episode 17. You see the core mission of the Green Berets is to train indigenous forces to fight the enemy in occupied territory. Atami basically does this in episode 17 where he trades a team of Dark Elts how to use Japanese weapons and tactics so they can help him defeat a flame dragon once and for all. Spoiler alert, they all die. Good thing we can't let that knowledge actually get out to this world. Yeah. Um, this is pretty much the unspoken purpose of the Green Berets, to train a group of insurgents who can take on the high-risk assignments without risking large casualties to American troops. Doesn't really sound all that friendly and happy to me. No, it certainly does not. Um, and then there's also the way that the show portrays civilian military oversight and journalism. Um Politicians who want to perform oversight on the operations of the JSDF are shown as basically feckless assholes who are only interested in twisting the facts to make the JSDF look bad. In fact, during a hearing in the National Diet, Rory goes on a tirade about how politicians are cowards who shouldn't question the people who keep them safe. Journalists, on the other hand, are shown to be only concerned with capturing the most sensational stories, especially those that make the military look bad. Um... During episode 21, there's a scene where a visiting journalist actually says, the truth isn't our responsibility, we just need to make sure people tune in. Um, and these things sound kind of ashy, to be honest. Uh, and it's actually a lot worse in the manga. Uh, I've read the manga, and that that whole like arc, um, they really make journalists out to be just like, hey, all journalists are just out to get Yeah, us, it's the you fake know? news media, man. It's all the fake news, yeah. Yeah, Gade is basically designed to make the JSCF look good, and to make it seem powerful and capable of winning glory. It did so well at this that the JSCF actually uses the main characters as mascots during recruiting campaigns. Having a fantasy world that struck first basically gives Japan the excuse uh, to exercise their superior, awe-inspiring military might. The guise of self-defense is quickly abandoned within the logic of the show. If they really wanted to simply defend Japan, this show would basically end with them securing Elness Hill. There is no real reason for them to occupy a larger reason in the uh, region in the world beyond the gate when the garrison of 10,000 soldiers can fend off a force five times its size without breaking a sweat or losing a single person. But then again, if it did that, there wouldn't be any cool reason for helicopter scenes and, you know, bombing runs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, so, like, basically, you know, the show, it was written by a military, like a JSDF officer. Yeah. It was written for a specific purpose. Um, propaganda. It, it was it's propaganda. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, Gate is basically propaganda for the uh, Japanese self-defense force. Yeah. Um, and it works. Don't they have these characters, like, painted on the side of helicopters and they stuff? They have them painted on helicopters, yeah. Humvees, fighter jets. Like, they, they they go all out. Which, first of all, all you know, if we're, if we're putting all of it aside, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. It's, it's objectively awesome. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wish we had tanks with, like, I don't know, Sailor Moon on them. That would Fuck be yeah. super hype. Um, but, like, when you look at it at the level of what it actually is, is incredibly problematic. Yes. Um, but that kind of does it for, like, the scripted part of the show. I just wanted to also just chat about the show with the last bit of the episode we yeah. have left. Um, one of the things I really wanted to make sure I mentioned is that the, um, where the anime ends, they kind of put a neat bow on it. I don't think they're ever going to do a season two. 
Um, they kind of just wrapped it up. They did the whole, everyone gets married at the end and we're all good. And then yeah. they end the show. Um, but the uh, the manga, uh, the or the light novels and the manga still go. Yeah. Um, they're still releasing episodes of the, um, or chapters of the manga. Um, there is a spinoff of the light novels that follows the Jap- Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force, um, which sounds, sounds interesting. awesome. It's basically one piece of gate. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, some of the storylines that I thought were super interesting from the manga that I wanted to bring up in case you thought you might be interested in reading it are um, Noriko, one of the Japanese captives that Itami and his team rescue in episode 14, becomes a conflict journalist. Um, we see we see a little bit of this in episode 21 where she's working as a press liaison, but in the manga after this, she ends mm. up suffering from PTSD, which causes her to seek out like more danger in her life. Um, and she does this by embedding with JSDF units in the field. And like she has her own little arc about her like like coming to terms with like all of the the like torture and rape she endured while she was captured by the prince um we get uh, a bunny girl assassin who joins the JSDF as a special forces operator um that's pretty freaking cool um Furuta the cook becomes a spy uh and he does Jason Bourne shit um actually really more like James Bond shit to be entirely honest with you <laughs> like he he gets the girl and they he he beats the bad guy um it's it's great uh, Prince Zorzel basically starts an insurgency, and the JSDF ends up fighting their own version of the war in Afghanistan. Fun. Yeah, like the 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 manga goes in wild directions. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't that. I don't think they're gonna make that. No, they're not gonna make that. I don't think. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to give an idea of like where the where the show goes after it quote unquote ends. Yeah, I mean. Uh, there, where where do you want to start with it? Because there's there's a whole lot to talk well, about. Well, why don't we talk about what you liked? What did you like about the show? I like the show. Yeah. Like, straight up, it's a fun show. Um, one of the things I wanted to hit on was that the protagonist is, like, kind of the ultimate insert fantasy, right? Well, yeah. that's a weird way of saying it. Yeah, don't, don't word it like that. <laughs> um, but, but essentially, like... He is the, like, otaku ideal. Like, his number one priority is, like, my otaku life is my number one priority. Yeah. You know, like, all he cares about is being lazy and reading his, like, fan comics, his doujin. Yeah. Um, And, like... That's not really true. Um, But, like, he, he plays it off and, like... He, they do it in a way that is believable enough for the person watching the show yeah um but you know he gets to do all of the fun things like yeah. you know everything you wish the military would be is like going out into like the uh, fantasy world and picking up elf chicks and having a harem with like a yeah. demigod lolly like who sits on your lap a lot yeah like it, it's it's everything an otaku would want yeah and and i can see how it's so clearly designed to like, you know, you know, get yeah boys and and girls and young people interested in joining the special forces. This is the this is the equivalent of. Do you remember the Marines commercial with the dragon? Yeah, where exactly. they, he climbs yeah, yeah, a mountain yeah. and fights a fucking dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This that is the Japanese version of that. It really is. It's... Um, there's at least one. There's gotta be one oh, boy so, who joined the JSDF and is 
pissed off that they're, <laughs> that they're not. <laughs> that him. it's not that fun. Yes. Um, but here, here is what I will say about it. For all of that, though, like that character ended up actually being the best version of that character possible. Like, yeah, totally. You see it a lot where it's the like. The character, the main guy, person who just, you know, wants to go back to their real world and, and, like, play video games. And it's, like, such a burden, yet they develop this harem, which is this guy, but, like, he's the best version of that character, right? right? Like, usually I hate those protagonists in those shows, but, like, he's actually a, an enjoyable person to watch. And he's, like, altruistic, and he's, like, everything, like... You know, he's the um, he's the uncle type. We yeah, we talked about it earlier. Yeah. We, yeah, and that's one thing I like about him a lot too is that we get an older character as a as a protagonist, and like you get you kind of get the. I feel like the way the characters around him react to him is very. Uh, he's human. uncle daddy. Yeah, mm, I don't to the characters yeah, in the world. Yeah, I just I don't I don't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why don't you want to say that? Best because just for every reason, because of every reason. <laughs> um, but like the way people around him react to him is indicative of like the way his character is. So like people are like, oh, he's like a lazy asshole. He's a piece of shit. He's a fuck up. But like when it comes down to it, they're like, oh yeah, you want to do this crazy thing that is like yeah. really nice, but we can't justify doing it. Tommy might do it. Yeah, um, give him a bazooka and a chopper. Yeah, send him after a dragon yeah it'll be fine but like what's <laughs> fine he he does so well with everything speaking of the way the characters around him react to him though i one of my my favorite side character in this show is um oh god what's her name um fujisaki i think it is the um the gung-ho girl who like fights everyone like fist to fist um Kurobayashi, that's her name. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah She yeah. is so good. I love the fact that she she hates Itami. She's like, she's like, who, who is this fucking dork who is just obsessed with anime? And how did he become like a ranger and a special forces guy? And she's like so pissed off that like oh, <laughs> he's the one who gets all this. But like she does respect him. But also like I I watched this one with the dub because I wanted to see how the dub was. It's which, not bad. The dub is not bad. Um. But it's funny because in the dub, which doesn't come across in the subs, she calls him, like, a piece of shit and a dirt bag and yeah. a lazy asshole, like, all the time. And, like, and that does not come across in the subs. And I just thought that was really, in- like, a really interesting facet of the relationship between the two that yeah. I didn't catch the first I like time her around. Vo- her voice actress, too. Yeah, her voice actress is pretty good. Um, yeah. It, th- actually, that's another interesting part of the show like i will say it is a harem show too which i think is interesting yeah it's a harem show um it's a good harem uh i'm usually not on team lolly Mm -hmm. um but in this case like well she's 900 damn she's 961 best boy justin and in what is it uh 39 years. Yeah, when she turns a thousand. She'll be a god. (laughs) Yeah, she becomes a goddess. I actually know which goddess she becomes. I'll tell you afterwards if you want to know, but I won't spoil it. Um, But also, like, she's like, all, she's like, wears those years and is funny and, you know, plays to the tropes because she's self-aware and is just a total badass. Yeah. Um, Tuka's kind of the only one I feel who's underdeveloped. 
Yeah. Um, she gets a little bit more development in the manga, but not a lot. Lele gets a lot of development. Lele's great too. Um, my favorite part is when they're in the courtroom and they're like, she's the oldest person here. And they're like, how old are you? And she's like, 961. And then the elf's like, I'm 165. And they're like, how old are you? And she's like, 15. Yeah. (laughs) Um, that, yeah, that, that arc actually reminds me of one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, um, which is the relationship between Itami and his ex-wife. So Oh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting, I thought, because, you know, Itami was married and is now divorced, which is interesting for a character. You don't see that happen a lot. But their relationship is interesting. Basically, they were friends in high school because they're both huge nerds, and they decided to kind of get married basically out of convenience they're like hey we're both nerds um you know let's get married and support each other so they did um and like i guess she felt she ended up like kind of getting feelings for him and like he didn't really um so like basically when he because he volunteered to go on this mission to the special region um when he did they ended up getting divorced because Mm. she was like Basically, the way she puts it is like, oh, he doesn't he doesn't understand why that made me like why that hurt my feelings, mm. um, but like he's never he never meant to because they were never they the they were never married out of love, you know. Mm. So like, I kind of wonder how that relationship continues in the light novel or if it continues in the light novels going forward. I don't think it does. But like I just thought that was an interesting dynamic the way they had set I that up see where her, they're like her ultimately winning the best. The, I mean like, that that is probably the, the best end. outcome. Yeah, it's better than the fifteen year old. It's better than the fifteen year old. It's better than the elf who calls him daddy. Um, yeah, but you know I just think uh, I think the way the the kind of story develops between the two of them was it felt really interesting and it felt really substantial it's like substantive like you could feel the kind of weight mm. of their history when they're together yeah. um and i i thought that was really well done um and i'd be interested to hear more yeah um i think the the kind of last thing i want to say about like things that i really enjoy about it is that it's not a show that i always know where it's going to go yeah um i think it handles certain you know situations and kind of the reactions from them like situationally like you know the jsdf does this and then you know the people of the world respond in this way yeah and and i like the kind of political interplay within the special region right yeah like Aside from this whole occupying force, you have people making power plays because they know that this disruptive power is in the world. Yeah. Um, but then you, you also get the uh, political intrigue in the real world, too. Yeah. Because there, like, there are other countries who have an interest in the uh, the resources beyond the special gate, including our old friends, the United States of America. Okay, so I've been saving this. I've had a question this whole yeah, sure, time go ahead. for you. Um, and this is probably the thing I've been most excited to talk about with regards to this and tying it into our own 4th of July celebrations. Yeah, celebrations. Because um, I'm but... not celebrating <laughs> this year. Um, but, but to celebrate... Uh, I want to know 
how you think the United States would react if this really happened. Well, I want to have a little discussion on that. If it happened here or if it happened no, no, in no, Japan. No, in Japan, like it I did think, in the show. I think they would react the way they reacted in the show. They would probably try to kill someone, which is what they did in the I show. See, I think they'd be like, we need to be in there. Well, that's what they are. That's what yeah. they're doing in the show. But they obviously, they, they can't do anything because, you know, it's be the, the gate is in the middle of Tokyo. Yeah. You know, so they try to send, you know, I'm like, it's a little bit of spoilers here if you're planning to watch the show, but they try to send, like, Wally Tommy and the core cast, his harem, are in Tokyo. They try to send a team to kidnap them so that they can, like, have some sort of leverage. Um, yeah. They can't because Rory is a demigod who literally comes from battle. <laughs> um, so you can't really take her anywhere without her consent. Yeah. But, um,. Yeah, I think that's probably the, how they would try to react. I think, the, the, to me, the one thing, the most unbelievable part of the show, because like we said, the show is all propaganda to puff up the Japanese military. Uh -huh. The most unbelievable part of the show is that the Japanese military would be able to pick apart a CIA black ops team with no <laughs> trouble at all. Like, yeah. I thought that was a little ridiculous. Like, I wouldn't, like, if they went about that as going, like, oh, like, they're having a tough time, but, like, it's a home field advantage kind of thing, I'd be like, okay, I could buy that. But just <laughs> the, the fact that the Japanese self-defense force has an overwhelming force advantage against the CIA black ops team, <laughs> I'm like, nah, I don't buy it. <laughs> That's fantasy land. I, like, I personally think that, like, the United States would be like, absolutely not. Like, we will like put crippling sanctions on you until you let us. Oh, in there. sanctions! Yeah, I hadn't thought about sanctions. Like, yeah, they would do like everything in their power just to like get well, into the special region to get scientists in there and testing stuff. Well, and... I mean, it's it's politically difficult though because because it's in the middle of Tokyo. Well, because it's in the middle of Tokyo, and the U.S. does have a lot of treaties. And alliances with Japan that would probably make that kind of difficult yeah. because like I mean but like you know they'd be like getting people in Japan like yeah. fomenting like people in Japan to get into the, like yeah no it would definitely we would we would not we would listen we would handle it how we handle finding oil anywhere <laughs> yeah not pleasantly <laughs> not not pleasantly um yeah well so, yeah Anything else? Any last words on Gate? I mean, I think we, we kind of went into a lot of the kind of military thing. There's definitely some social issues present throughout the show and mm -hmm. kind of how it depicts certain things. Um, age relationships. Is yeah. Oh, yeah. One of them. We did, we did kind of t gloss over the fact that Sugawara <laughs> has a 13-year-old child bride now. Yeah. Well, they're fiancés. They're not married yet. Obviously, so, they're not going to get married till she gets uh, turns 18. Uh, yeah, and that's a thing. And, like, the... Okay, so... <laughs> not to beat a dead horse here, but... <laughs> the part of it that's so weird to me is that everyone around him basically just There's goes, a part. It's not the all of it. <laughs> yeah, well, like, every everyone around him who is, like... T I'm specifically talking about Sugawara and, like, the little girl from the right. Empire... Everyone around him is just like, oh, well, I'm sure you won't do anything untoward. Like, wh what do you mean? Oh, yeah. Like, okay, like, first of all, you're a woman. Like, you should have so many concerns about his relationship with this, like, teenage girl who, like... Oh, you mean the the military man with the harem? 
No, 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 no. I'm talking about the other one. I'm just saying, you, you don't have any issues with him around the little girl? I mean, I told, I have issues with him, but like specifically, like he's unsupervised most of the time. So it's like whatever. Like I, I get how like you know this could happen, and and you know it, so nobody let it happen. But like with the diplomat, it's happening in front of other diplomats. Like, uh, nobody says, hey, you know, like, I get you're trying to, like, gain some influence here, but maybe don't that way. Yeah, or, you know, the whole Prince Orzel and all of the things that he does. Oh, yeah, no, that's, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms, and guess what? It gets a lot worse. Yeah. Which, he's, you know. If you think he's a bastard in the anime, read the manga. Yeah, if he's, you know... He's a goblin from Goblin Slayer, kind of bad. Yeah, he's real bad. Um, um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's gay. I mean, the thing is, it's an enjoyable show. If you like kind of military type shows and isekais and all that sort of stuff, like I think you'll really enjoy it. But I think it's also an interesting lens into looking into this little slice of history uh in japan yeah i mean if you're if you're gonna watch the show and it's a good show i think if you're if if it sounds like something you'd be interested in you should watch it you should definitely read up on some of the stuff around it some of the controversies yeah. some of the the history of the self-defense force and you know there's papers out there if you want to get scholarly with it but well i also think you know given everything going on in the world especially in that region with you know, russia and china like japanese kind of military presence is going to become a more notable thing on the world stage yep and it could end up being a destabilizing force if we're being real honest about it so maybe don't Japan, do that japan's real good at conquering a whole lot of that area yeah google the rape of nanking again unless don't. you live no. in japan uh in <laughs> which mean, case nothing happened and there's nothing to worry do about to learn but don't casually and don't in front of small children well i mean it's not like it's not a doujin <laughs> it's a it's a historical worst, event yes but like the, also the worst doujin ever yeah oh god yeah <laughs> Don't read that on the train. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> on that note. On that note, let us know what do you think about the rape of Nanking. Um, <laughs> unless you live in Japan, in which case you don't. Nothing ever happened. Nothing bad happened. Um, are you gonna watch Gate? Have you watched Gate? What do you think? Um, did these kind of things jump out to you when you watched the show? Let us know on Twitter and Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. Send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And with that being said, uh, we're going to end our, our 4th of July episode right now.
Anyway, moving on, Gate and thus the national, uh, and thus the Japanese self-defense force uh, fought their... That's the, the whole, okay, so that's the yeah, whole yeah. title. <laughs> I know. Anyway, oh, that's for us, there we go. Anyway, moving on, Gate and thus the, fuck. <laughs> Try like, Gate I'm... and thus the Japanese self-defense force fought in their lands. Anyway, moving on. Gate, and thus the Japanese self-defense force fought in their land. Did I say that right? Yeah. And then I got mad at myself for saying it right. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Anyway, moving on. Gate, and thus... 